You are now listening to the Life Defined Podcast, the show where we discuss the life-defining moments that we all go through that oftentimes makes us or breaks us. On this show, we always like to remind you that you might be going through all types of hell right now, but glory is on the way. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, 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 what's up, good people? Hey, here we are once again for a brand new episode of the Life Defined Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ray Watson II. And for today's show, we'll be talking to friend of the show, uh, Siobhan Copeland, specifically about uh, what she does for a living. Now, before we get into that conversation, I wanted to briefly share why I thought it was important to have this conversation with uh, Siobhan about what she does for a living every day. Uh, for one reason, she'll tell you all about what she does, but um, the work that she does do every day, it's very emotionally taxing and draining. And it's not one of those jobs that's often celebrated or, you know, talked about on social media, but, but the simple fact that she's passionate about what she does and she loves to do the work that she's doing every day, that has a special place in my heart. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got nothing but respect for anyone who goes to work every day, you know, to earn a paycheck, to make a living, to put food on their family's plate, you know, to get benefits or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, you do for work every day. I've got nothing but respect uh, for those people. But I think there's something special about anyone who's able to merge the thing that they're passionate about and, and the things that they love with what they do for a living. You know, if I'm being honest with even myself, it's it can be very difficult to merge those two worlds between the thing that you love and the thing that you're passionate about and the thing that you uh, go to work to do every day. So to be able to do that, I think is special. And so that's one of the reasons why I think this interview with Siobhan is going to be really special um, because hopefully it'll be an encouragement to someone listening today that if you're working a job that, you know, you dread Mondays because it's like, uh, hamster wheel where you just got to go to this the same job it's Monday and here we go yet again and you don't really enjoy it or find passion in it then maybe this episode can sort of stir you into figuring out how you can sort of merge something that you're passionate about and something that you love and merge that into what you do for a living you know let's not simply go to work every day to earn a living or to make a paycheck while yet dying on the inside. If we can, again, take the things that we're passionate about and the things that we love and then do that uh, with our lives. And that's one of the things that you'll hear Siobhan talk about in our conversation today. That even though it's a difficult job to do what she does and it can be emotionally taxing because she loves it and it's a passion, she can keep doing it every day. So again, I just wanted to get that out uh, before we get into our conversation today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation um, with our good friend, Siobhan Copeland. 
Enjoy. <laughs> hey, Ray. Hey, Siobhan. This has been a, a minute coming, but I'm glad to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love everything that you and Alicia are doing. Thank you so much for having me to talk about some of these really good issues. Of course. So as we get into today's show, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Who are you and uh, what do you do? So I, um, I am a child abuse uh, victim advocate. Uh, I work at a um, hospital. I have a clinic in D.C., in Washington, D.C., and so I have background in um, sexual assault, domestic violence, and I sort of found my way into dealing with some of these issues with children along the lines, and I found that that's my passion, but primarily dealing with, with children and advocating for children with these issues, but this has been my field since uh, I think I started back in 2011. Okay. So, uh, like I mentioned, we've known each other, I think, since about 2007, 2008, somewhere around yep, there. Yep, around there. And at that time, you were primarily from what I knew. I knew you as a creative, as an artist, uh, primarily uh-huh. doing video, um, shooting, editing, videography, things like that. Uh-huh. Um, so, how did you? And we were in youth ministry at the time. So you were youth leader, creative in the arts. So how did you get into this field, which isn't for the faint of heart? (laughs) Right. What what drew Uh, you to doing this type of work? Yeah, well, I always say my first love is um, film. My first love is always film. And I wanted to find a way to merge the two things that I love, which is um, advocacy victim rights and film. And so it was along those lines of trying to figure out how to merge the two that I sort of came into um, this field. I started by um, working with youth in Baltimore City, helping them to figure out how to use their voice for advocacy. Um, So I worked with an organization out there um, and I would teach them how to edit, write, produce, film their own TV show on a public access TV show to deal with the issues that they felt were relevant to them instead of just sort of taking to the streets or dealing it, you know, with their own vices. And so it was in that, like, using media to help youth with critical thinking skills and advocacy and advocating for their own rights that I sort of came into this this field. Um, so it was actually in 2011 where I um, started working with a hospital in Prince George's County, Prince George's County, as a volunteer because I really didn't have a lot of experience in uh, the field of advocacy outside of media. And so I started working in this hospital as on a volunteer basis um, as a victim advocate. So if a sexual assault or a domestic violence case came into the ER, they would call us to come to the hospital to meet them, to sort of walk them through the process, walk them through if they had to get a same exam, sort of hold their hand and that sort of thing. And it was a few child cases that I had there at the hospital that I also had to go to court for to to be a court advocate, where I was like, I really like working with children because this is a really scary process. And being able to help them 
mitigate some of those fears and anxieties they have, uh, I found that I really liked. And so I stuck with it and and found my way to D.C. Okay. Now, what was it about this field that personally connected to you? Um, And the reason I say that is because, you know, in the world we live in, there's a million issues and causes that we see, you know, whether it's human trafficking, social justice reform, criminal justice, you know, uh, Black health and empowerment. So, you know, there's a, a million different things that sort of vie for our passion. What was it about this in particular that connected with you personally that said, I want to get invested in this type of work, like, full time? Right. Um, well, I am a child of domestic violence, so I grew up, um, childhood domestic violence is an actual term that's used now. There's websites about it, and quizzes and tests you can take to see if you were someone who was affected as a child or a child taking one of those quizzes or tests. Um, But at the time, there was no such term. And so growing up, seeing the things that I saw and and having the experiences that I did, at one point, I just, I thought was normal. I didn't really know it was, wasn't normal until I um, just met other people who had very different stories growing up. Um, so, so I saw a lot um, of things that child shouldn't see, and I didn't have a voice, and that was one of the things that made me want to be in this field. Even today, I feel like children are the only survivors, victims, who are not encouraged to have a voice. You know, we have an amazing Me Too movement now where women are speaking out, men are speaking out about things that have happened to them but not too many children are included in that because we still hold that belief that children should be seen and not heard, that really old school, dangerous belief that puts children in a very vulnerable, even more vulnerable position than they already are in. Um, so I think I, a part of me wants to be the advocate that I didn't have growing up, and I, I love being able to, to be there for children and empower them to use their voice and to let them know that that is actually something that they can do. You can say no, <laughs> you know, to an adult. You you don't have to go along with what you're being told to if it puts you in a dangerous position. And it's really hard to teach children that because that's just not widely accepted in our society. So I love being an advocate in a way that I just didn't have um, growing up. You know, I'll go so far as to testify before different councils and things like that about children's rights because they have rights. And when you grow up feeling you're at the whims of adults who who are loving but just aren't healthy at all times, it's it's really hard. It's really difficult. And my worldview was sort of shaped by that, which is not the healthiest worldview. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's 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 a product of, of what you see and deal with growing up. So I think it was it's pretty much that. I think I fell into this field along the way because once I realized that certain things I experienced as a child weren't normal, I just I wanted to be um, a bit of a grounding force for other children who have similar experiences or worse experiences. Okay. So what helped you personally in your journey toward healing from those childhood experiences? Um, so, you know, because, you know, what's the saying? Hurt people hurt people and healed right. people heal people. 
And so I imagine that before you could fully go into this work to help other people, that you had to do some of your own um, healing for yourself. So how or, you know, what helped you to um, in your own healing journey? Well, I want to be completely honest for your listeners, because I think um, I think there's a perception out there that you'll have these experiences and you'll do whatever you need to do along your journey and you'll be okay. And that's not always the case. I'm, I'm still in my journey. And I think that that's, I think it's a lifelong process. I don't know that you can ever get to a point where you say, yeah, I'm good. Because <laughs> uh, things are, you know, you have triggers, things pop up. But I think I'm in a better place, primarily due to um, therapy, <laughs> lots and lots of therapy, which I'm still in. Mental health is not a joke. And particularly in our community, black and brown communities, it's just very taboo. Still, it's better, much better than it was, but it's still very taboo to to say, ah, I need help. (laughs) Everything is not okay. I am not okay. I need some kind of help. And whether that help comes in the form of talk, traditional talk therapy, medication, hospitalization, whatever it is that you need to heal, you need to do. And I think I got to a point in my life where I was tired of not living because of my experiences. And I really wanted to experience life. Um, Life is short. Life is fragile. Life is unpredictable. And I can't be in the now if I'm constantly living in my past. And so I sought out therapy. um, And I've had a lot of different therapists. Therapy is like it's like shoes, you know, you try on a lot of different pairs and eventually you'll find the right fit. And so I had to try on a lot of pairs and eventually I'm to a place now where I really like my therapist. Um, we have a good vibe, a good relationship and he challenges me and gives me homework to do and, you know, and calls me out, you know, calls me out on, on my bullshit when I have it because I have a lot of it and it's not always easy to to do that with people which is why i think therapy is so important you know we have loved ones and people who care about us but sometimes they're not always going to tell us the truth because they love us and care about us um when you're dealing with a, a complete stranger who is licensed and trained and understands um certain behaviors it's it's much easier to um deal and to confront your demons with someone like that versus with someone who's who's just going to be a, a yes man, a yes woman. So um, for me, it was therapy. That's interesting you say that because yeah. um, the, the last several interviews I've done, that's been a common thing I've heard mm. in many of the interviews I've done where nice. people have gone to therapy and through that therapy, they've been able to, like you said, not totally heal, but like start that healing process and right. be better than they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's becoming a recurring theme, which I'm glad to hear, because like you said, in the African-American yeah. community, for a long time, there was, that was a very taboo, it was sort of mm-hmm. a bad word. Yeah, I don't therapy. need therapy, I got Jesus. <laughs> I have people in my family who say that, and it's like, nah, fam, you need Jesus, and you need to talk to somebody. There's yeah, a- and and I, and I think it's really important for people to know 
in our community that the two can go hand in hand. Because you see a therapist doesn't mean you don't have Jesus. You know, it means Jesus sent you to a person who he gave a gift to deal with the issues that you're dealing with. And I think in our minds, it's separate. It's like, well, if I say I need medication, I'm saying, you know, I can't just take it to the altar. Um, And maybe you can't. That's why um, God created certain medications. (laughs) Like, just it's okay. (laughs) It's okay to get help. And and there's all kinds of therapy. I mean, there's behavioral therapy, there's cognitive therapy, there's EDMR. Like, there's anything that you, you know, if you're uncomfortable with one thing, you can try another. Like I said, it's like shoes. And so that is something that on my journey is is really helping me deal with um, some of those demons from my past. Right. And like one of the last interviews I did, one of the ways that she mentioned therapy helped her is because it helped to connect some things going on in her adulthood to some childhood trauma and triggers, which if it weren't for that therapy, you in your own mind might not have made that connection that Uh I'm the type of husband, wife, parent I am today because of some type of unresolved unaddressed trauma from my childhood that I didn't even like make that connection but this third party can listen to me just sort of vent and talk and then make that connection like have you ever thought that Mm -hmm. the relationship that you had with your parents is why you do the things you do with yours so yeah Mm -hmm. It, it helps you connect the dots you know those um those old school um, uh, coloring pages that we had where if you connect the dots, then you can see the mm-hmm. actual, the full picture. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It just helps us connect so that we can see this full picture. There are things that, and, and triggers, I didn't even realize I had. You know, there's things that I do now with, with my kids. There are ways that I'm triggered now that will bring me all the way back to six-year-old Siobhan. Um, that is just like, wow. You know, even with the work that I'm doing, this one trigger took me back all these years just like that in a second. You know, it could be something I see. It could be something I hear. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I um go to work, sometimes I'll take public transportation. And, you know, when you're sitting on Metro, you people are having conversations and whatever, but it could be loud. And I realize whenever someone around me starts having a loud conversation where they might not be in a heated argument, but it sounds like they're starting to argue. My heart rate goes through the roof. And I never realized that I would do that. I would tense up, you know, and it wouldn't be until I started to a therapist is like in those moments, just start with breathing. I'm like, I'm breathing. I'm not dead, you know, but I didn't realize that all oh, I'm holding my breath and I'm tense and my heart rate is sky high just because someone is having an elevated conversation near me. Like it's something that simple that can send me over the roof and I don't even realize it's happening when I'm in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just, it's really, really helpful for someone to be able to walk you through those experiences. So you just, you know, you're not crazy, you know, it's, it's for a reason. So here's a question. I don't, and I don't know if you can answer it, but if you can, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that came to mind is, I imagine there's someone, you know, listening to these podcasts and they 
look at their life and they think they're good. Like, oh, I'm good. But I think there are some signs that might help you to realize, hmm, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. Right. And so one of the things that you just said is um, the example you gave of being on the Metro and hearing this, you know, it could just be a regular conversation. But once that conversation gets loud, your heart starts racing, your, your pulse uh-huh. starts beating heavier. So for you, that was sort of a sign or an indicator that there's more going on. Are there any other sort of signs or indicators that you've seen either personally or heard from other people that is sort of a red flag or indicator that although I thought I was good, here's an indicator that mm, there might be something more going on. Does that make sense? Um, Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It could really just be in the way you communicate. You ever have conversations with someone where you're just talking and they snap at you and you don't know why because you're just having a regular conversation. You can, people will sometimes react um, harshly to things that seem very minor because there's some underlying reason. There's something that you said or did, something they saw that triggered them and they reacted in a way that was really over the top. And you're just like, that was a little over the top for something so minor. I think that that's a good indicator. Sometimes it's involuntary, like sweating. Um, Like I know people who their bodies will start to overheat if they are triggered by something. Um, And so excessive sweating could be it. Um, Harsh responses can be it. Um, Extremely defensive. I find people who are very defensive when you're having a conversation with them is there's some underlying something. (laughs) There's a reason why we just can't have a conversation that you're coming at me in this really in defense mode, like off the gate. Yeah, I mean, it it could be a million and one things. Some people will tap, you know, start tapping like a nervous, like a nervous tick Mm -hmm. um, if they're triggered. And so it's really just being aware of your your body um, while you're while you're in your body doing certain things. Some people will start to get dizzy, you know, lightheaded. I mean, I've, I've pretty much experienced all of those things. And, you know, you can attribute that to. Uh, I haven't had breakfast, or <laughs> it could be something else. You know, you have to, and that's what talking to someone helps is to sort of break down the things that you're experiencing and be able to help you create that picture, connect those dots. One goes to two, two goes to three, and oh, hey, there's a rainbow. You know, when it's all done, you see the full picture. So it it could be a million and one things. It's just being aware of what is sort of out of the norm for you. Mm. Yes, good. Um, but even in sort of describing some of those more common examples, I think is mm-hmm. good because that might help someone who's listening to say, oh, you know, I've had that sweating issue happen when, when this happens. Exactly. So throwing out some of those examples, I think will connect with some people um, and remind them of some things in their own minds and heads. Uh-huh. Cool. So here's my uh, my next question. So the, mm-hmm. the, the field that you work in, um, like I said earlier, it's not for the faint of heart. I know there are a lot of things that you've seen, things that you've uh, heard about, especially as it involves um, child abuse, um, abuse to women. So have you ever thought about just 
you know, totally getting out of that world and, you know, getting that a good government job, getting a simple <laughs> nine to five, working at a desk and just sort of like, just, I need to get away from all this. I'm going to just go get that good nine to five. Have you thought about doing that? And if so, what kept you doing this work? Mm-hmm. Um, I think about doing that every day. Um, <laughs> That's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think about doing that every day. And I would be lying if I, I didn't say I put update my resume and get it out sometimes um, if it, when it gets real bad. Because um, this um, field, particularly in this, this field where I am now with focusing on children, can be particularly exhausting because with these cases, you just can't fathom that people are as sick and as cruel as they are and how we live in a a society where people are breathing living beings with blood pumping through their veins just like you have and and can do the things that they do to children. I've seen some things that I just cannot get out of my head. I wish I could, but I can't. And it uh, it affects it affects you. Um, there's no one in this field. If they say it doesn't affect them, then there's a problem. Everyone in the field field is affected in some way, from the social workers I work with to the child abuse pediatricians, to ER docs, to orthopedic surgeons, to the police. Like everyone that I've had to deal with in this field, um, who see the things that people can do to children are affected deeply. And everybody deals with that, those effects in different ways. So, you know, for me, it, it comes sometimes in the way that I parent, you know, like my children don't do sleepovers. Um, I know. Like I just, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's hard because there are definitely people in my life, in my village that I trust, but everyone that I've dealt with in this field, every client that I've ever had, no one leaves their child with someone they don't trust knowingly, <laughs> you know, like that's right. the problem. 90% of um, the perpetrators are people we know and love and trust. And so I really don't want to limit experiences for my children. I want them to live their lives abundantly. Um, but I tend to be more on the side of a helicopter parent because of the things that I see. What keeps me going I think is little Siobhan, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, the, the little girl who didn't mm. have, um, because I think, yeah, there are people who can continue and go on, but only I have my story. So when I go to testify before council about putting trainings in place for teachers to recognize signs of child sexual abuse, you know, I'm the only one who has my story when I go to speak to them. I'm the only one who knows about those clients who had teachers who saw things and just didn't say anything because they didn't want to, well, you know, I don't want to cause trouble for this family. You know, she has a really good mom or, you know, just whatever reason people justify for, which can be valid reasons, you know, um, but whatever reason people justify for not intervening, um, I'm the only one who can go and tell that little girl's story. So, and, and quite frankly, I do love what I do. Like, it's one of those really hard things that 
I'm in this constant state of um, being torn. It's this dichotomy of this is really emotionally draining and I just want to quit with I love advocating for children. So it's just I have to find my I have to find my happy place on a regular basis. Um, and when I start to lose sight of that is when I start to rev up therapy more for me personally. So therapy keeps me going. My story keeps me going. Um, loving what I do keeps me going. When it gets it gets too much, and I just I want to quit. Okay. And then where do you um, find personal hope and joy? You know, like so you see what you see at work. You see what you see in the world with you know, coronavirus, the president we have, all the other issues we have. <laughs> so where do you find um, hope and joy personally? That's just such a funny question. <laughs> and I say it's funny because I'm in, a, I'm in a space right now where I'm actually trying to find those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just, it's funny. It's actually something I'm talking about with my therapist now, like, because I'm, I'm in this, okay, so one of the things that I've learned to do is to accept the space that I'm in, because I don't like to sit in, I'm not a person who sits still. If I see a problem, I will figure out that problem from A to Z in a weekend. I'm, I'm just not a person to sit still in pain. I don't do well with that. I am learning to sit still in the spaces that I'm in and to experience what I'm experiencing and allow myself to, to feel it. And so that question is funny because I'm in this space where I'm just like, everything is doom and gloom. The world is going to hell. There's no saving us. It's just, we're just like, it's like the fire is, is burning. It's, it's like, like I it's always over. go to my therapist. Yeah, I'm just like, what is the point? What is the point of all of this? Why are we here? What is the point? And it's, um, it's, it's just, it's funny. Um, I think. I am learning to find joy and hope in living in the moment. So when I am with Jackson Jet and they are dancing to turn down for what on Alexa and they're just going for it, I'm there and I'm laughing with them and I'm turning down for what with them and experiencing that without thinking about oh man, I just, I have to go deal with this two-year-old who was tortured by her stepmother, you know, like, because my mind goes there. And I have to just focus on, I am with my kids in this moment, and it's a happy moment, and it's a joyful moment, and they're safe, and they're okay. And I have the ability to go and deal with this case later on to be an advocate for this child and to help her change her story by finding hope in the fact that while things are going really crazy in this country, we do live in a country where if a child is harmed, there are systems in place where they can go and get help. And there are children in other countries who don't have that. They are literally at the whims of their perpetrators. You know, I'm grateful that this two-year-old has a hospital that she can go get checked out in and she has a detective who's on her case and she has a social worker who's helping her find mental health resources for the psychological issues that she's going to have as she gets older and that she has an advocate 
um, and Siobhan, who is going to advocate for whatever her needs are. And so I'm finding joy in, in those things and just the joy of living in the present moment without connecting the present moment to all of this other crazy shit that's going on. Okay. Um, well, I think that was the last question I had. Um, awesome. Where can people um, find you on social media? Um, I'm on Instagram um, at Shivamari0709. Um, and my name is still different. <laughs> it's um, S-I-O-B-H-A-N Marie0709. Um, I'm, I'm on Facebook. All of my stuff is private, obviously, because of the work that I do. <laughs> and so I, I don't trust the internet or people on the internet. So um, you have to request to follow me on, on anything, and I have to approve you. Um, so if you want to follow me, you just are going to have to send me a message saying you heard me on this podcast. Because if I don't know you, if I haven't met you in real life, I'm I'm not going to add you. <laughs> well, I, wait, I, um, I did have a, yeah. a couple other questions that came to mind. Sure. Um, let's see. What advice or what are some resources that you would point people to who are dealing with, they're either in an abusive situation Mm-hmm. Or they're dealing with, they're out of it uh, physically, but they're still dealing with the trauma of some abuse they've gone through. Maybe it's a teenager who abused, um, sure. and they're trying to trying to heal. So, what are some resources that you would point people mm-hmm. to in that healing journey? Sure. Um, so I would always direct people to the national hotlines because um, a lot of the stuff that I'm familiar with is local. And so if you have listeners who are in another state or anything like that, it's just good to go to any of the national hotlines because they can connect you to your local resources in your area, regardless of where you are. So there's a national um, domestic violence hotline, um, the hotline.org. There are uh, the national trafficking hotline. Um, if you suspect someone's being trafficked or are trafficked yourself, there is the Childhood Domestic Violence um, website that you can go to to take quizzes and things like that. Something that I think is a really good resource is called Knowing Your ACE Score. And so this doctor realized, um, I think it was in California, that her patients who had particular backgrounds also were connected to particular diseases. And so she created Mm. this ACE score, like people who experience certain childhood traumas, always had heart issues or asthma or different physical defects. Trauma responds, trauma manifests itself in your body physically through a lot of different diseases. Some people just think, oh, this is genetic. And no, it's because of something that you've experienced. So she created this ACE score, and if you just Google ACE score, what is my ACE score, it's a quiz that you can take that will ask you, and I think it's really good for for teenagers in particular. Um, I've done it with teenagers. It'll ask you a series of questions about things you've experienced, and based on your answers, it'll give you a score. And depending on how low or high your score is, will tell you that, okay, you, you need to seek help immediately. And it'll give some resources for that. Um, it's A stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. 
So I think that that's something that's really good to, to Google and research. Um, so any of those national hotlines um, will direct you. And then there's a national child abuse hotline. So I'm just using the general term. So when you Google it, it'll give you a 1-800 number that you can call or a website that you can go to. But it will connect you to specific resources for your specific issue in your area. Cool. Well, uh, once again, thank you, Siobhan, for being on this show. Um, thank you for having me. Hopefully, you know, uh, you've said some things that will connect with other people um, to assist them in their journey toward healing. So, yeah, give uh, all my love to the family. Will do. All right. Well, that's it, guys. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Life Defined Podcast. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Life Defined Podcast. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.